Welcome to your Thursday edition of Transformation Radio. When the stars came crashing down in tiny pieces to the ground, I was all alone down here, trapped beneath the atmosphere. Then I thought somebody called my name. I spun around and caught a flame. I gave in to a God I didn't know. And now everything is falling into place. A brand new life is calling and I owe it all to grace. It's so much fun living in your world. Save you what you did for me. With advice, no one wants to listen to a list of things they shouldn't do. So I build a city on a hill and I light a candle on the sill, knowing you'll be always knocking at the door. Oh God, I just want to love on everyone. All I have is yours to give. So let the people come It's so much part of living in your world Save you what you did for me You gave me something I want everyone to see When we stumble and it all goes wrong Only you can make it right So I say Shadows high, the light that breaks the curse of pride, the light that takes the weary in its arms. When it all came crashing down, there was only darkness all around, but in the distance I could see a flame. There's so much brighter living in your world, save you what you did for me. Now it's time for our reading from the New Testament, 
And today it comes from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 18 through 37. Here is an overview of some of what we'll be reading about today in the New Testament. Well, after the Pharisees and supporters of Herod failed to trap Jesus with their tax question, the Sadducees stepped in with a question they were sure would stump him. This was a question that they had successfully used against the Pharisees, who could not come up with an answer. Well, the Sadducees did not believe in life after death because the Pentateuch, that is Genesis through Deuteronomy, had no direct teaching about it, and the writings of Moses were the only scriptures they followed. But Jesus was about to point out that Moses' books support the idea of eternal life. Now, according to Old Testament law, when a man died without a son, his brother had to marry the widow and produce children to care for her and allow the family line to continue. The first son of this marriage was considered the heir of the dead man. Now, what life will be like after the resurrection is far beyond our ability to understand or even imagine. We need not be afraid of eternal life because of the unknowns, however. Instead of wondering what God's coming kingdom will be like, we really should concentrate on our relationship with Christ right now, because in the new kingdom, we will be with Him. If we learn to love and trust Christ now, we'll not be afraid of what He has in store for us then. All right, Jesus' statement does not mean that people won't recognize their spouses in the coming kingdom. It simply means that God's new order will not be an extension of this life and that the same physical and natural rules simply will not apply. It is different altogether. Jesus' comment that we'll read about here in the New Testament was not intended to be the final word on marriage in heaven. Instead, this response that he gives was his refusal to answer the Sadducees' riddle and thus fall into their trap. Sidestepping their question about the much-married woman, uh, he gave a definitive answer to their real question about the doctrine of resurrection. Because the Sadducees believed only in the Pentateuch, again, that's the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy, Jesus quoted from Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, to prove that there is life after death. See, God spoke of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob years after their deaths as if they still lived. God's covenant with all people exists beyond death. That's the good news for you and me who trust in Christ. Now, by Jesus' time, the Jews had accumulated hundreds of laws, uh, 613 by one historian's count. Some religious leaders tried to distinguish between major and minor laws, and some taught that all laws were equally binding and that it was uh, very dangerous to make any distinctions. This teacher's question could have provoked controversy among these groups, but Jesus' answer summarized all of God's laws. Now, God's laws are not burdensome. They can be reduced to two simple principles. Love God and love others. That's it. These commands are from the Old Testament. And uh, when you love God completely and care for others as you care for yourself, then you have fulfilled the intent of the Ten Commandments and uh, the other Old Testament laws. According to Jesus, these two commandments summarize all God's laws. So let them rule your thoughts and your decisions and your actions. When you're uncertain about what to do, ask yourself which course of action best demonstrates love for God and love for others. And now let's begin our reading here today in the New Testament. March 5th, the New Testament, Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 37. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees 
religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. The third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, Your mistake is that you don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses? In the story of the burning bush, long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he asked, Why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand, until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David himself called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? The large crowd listened to him with great delight. Psalm 48, verses 1 through 14. Why is Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the city of the great king? Because the temple was located in Jerusalem, the city was seen as the center of God's presence in the world. The Bible pictures Jerusalem as the place where believers will gather in the last days, and as the spiritual home of all believers, where God will live among them. Now, because Jerusalem has been destroyed several times since this psalm was written, the phrase, God will make it safe forever, may refer prophetically to the new Jerusalem, where God will judge all nations and live with all believers. The people of Judah were from Israel's largest tribe, which settled in the southern part of Canaan, where Jerusalem was located. Now David was from Judah, and he made Jerusalem his capital and the center of the nation's worship. 
Jesus was also a member of the tribe of Judah. The psalm writer here was saying that the day would come when God would bring justice to the land and God's people would get the respect they deserved. Psalm 48, verses 1 through 14. A song, a psalm of the descendants of Korah. How great is the Lord! How deserving of praise in the city of our God, which sits on His holy mountain! It is high and magnificent. The whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, is the city of the great King. God Himself is in Jerusalem's towers, revealing Himself as its defender. The kings of the earth joined forces and advanced against the city. But when they saw it, they were stunned, they were terrified and ran away. They were gripped with terror and writhed in pain like a woman in labor. You destroyed them like the mighty ships of Tarshish, shattered by a powerful east wind. We had heard of the city's glory, but now we have seen it ourselves, the city of the Lord of heaven's armies. It is the city of our God. He will make it safe forever. Interlude O God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. As your name deserves, O God, you will be praised to the ends of the earth. Your strong right hand is filled with victory. Let the people on Mount Zion rejoice. Let all the towns of Judah be glad because of your justice. Go, inspect the city of Jerusalem. Walk around and count the many towers. Take note of the fortified walls and tour all the citadels that you may describe them to future generations. For that is what God is like. He is our God forever and ever, and He will guide us until we die. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26. Lazy people irritate their employers, like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes.
Jason. His love endures forever. And by the grace of God, we will carry on. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. Today's scripture reading is verses 13 and 14 of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is speaking. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Like many people today, the Israelites in Jesus' time believed they were destined for heaven. They mistakenly thought that to join God's family, good works and an intellectual faith were all that He required. 
To help us grasp the truth about how to enter his Father's kingdom, Jesus described two roads leading in opposite directions. One is a broad highway, where most people travel. Theirs is an easy journey, as it requires few commitments and allows all kinds of philosophies. Because just about everything is acceptable, each person is free to be self-indulgent and choose whatever seems best. The broad path promises to give us whatever we desire, but in the end, it delivers nothing of lasting value. The other road is narrow. It has a small entrance, because there's only one way to be reconciled to God, by His grace through faith in Christ. Then, traveling on this path requires a commitment to the Savior and a lifestyle of dependence, sacrifice, and trust. Once we belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers us for everything that's required on the way of righteousness, loving God with our whole heart, loving our neighbors, and carrying out the Lord's purposes. Take precedence over our own. In contrast to the disappointments on the broad road, every divine promise is guaranteed. Each of us must choose which path to take, the wide one that ends in hopelessness and eternal separation from the Lord, or the narrow one leading to life everlasting. If you desire a relationship with God, then humbly ask Him to forgive you, placing your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ.
Association with the Refuge Ministries presents one of the 40 principles of the Foundation for Achievement. John, this is the leadership principle of criticism. Can you imagine a principle of criticism based upon Proverbs 15, verse 31? If you profit from constructive criticism, you will be elected to the wise man's hall of fame. Now, uh, this tells us that there's a profit that we can get from criticism. Uh, and because we're going to get be elected in the Hall of Fame of being wise, I mean, I mean that because everybody <laughs> really would like to be wise. Nobody wants criticism, <laughs> yeah, and, and you want to be in the Hall of Fame, you know, of, of wise people. But but we have to understand that it comes through profiting from criticism. Criticism, I hate it, is the most common response to the word criticism. The dictionary defines criticism as the act of analyzing or passing judgment. As strange as it may seem, we can benefit in our business and in our personal lives by receiving criticism. Oh, yes, absolutely. As we go through this lesson, it'll be kind of an eye-opener for some of us. Uh, And I I had to learn a lot of things the hard way, (laughs) and uh, this was one of them. The benefits may vary. Number one, become wise. We learn from the good and the bad. That's right, because it says that we will become wise and be elected to the Hall of Fame if we can accept criticism. Number two, gain a powerful perspective because we understand the critic. That's right, because when we understand the critic, <clears throat> we'll get, an, we'll get an, an, a feeling of ourselves plus the, the critic, and we'll understand the, the uh, combination of things between the two of us. Number three, gain good judgment because we pursue truth, not personalities. Our value for truth should always be greater than any feelings we have toward the person revealing the truth. Now, that is an important statement because we should pursue truth rather than personalities. In most cases, we would rather follow personalities than truth. So when, a, when, when one person says something about the truth and, and we, we like that person, we gladly accept that. But if another person says the same truth that we don't, and we don't like the personality, uh-huh. then we can't receive the truth because of the personality. Now, it's important to have good personality, but the thing is, is we cannot follow personality. We have to be in pursuit of truth. Even if the devil would tell me the truth, I would believe it. I mean, no matter where it comes from, truth is truth, no matter who says it. Mm. Uh, if an evil person says uh, something that's true, you have to follow truth. You can't brand it or throw it out because of the personality. Since we all want to grow and experience the good life, we had better be prepared to listen to the critics. But first we must differentiate between the humanistic way and God's way of criticism. 
One popular positive mental attitude theory says there is no such thing as constructive criticism. They say criticism is all negative. It's a negative approach to things. But the proverb above implies that there is a way that criticism may be profitable. To say that criticism is wrong is the same thing as saying we cannot bring correction to that which is wrong. And that's just not common sense. That's really true. Saying that whenever there's a problem and whenever truth does not prevail and, there's a, and a problem exists, you have to be able to deal with the truth. You have to be able to deal with it. And some people say, well, you're just negative. That's not negative. You're dealing with the truth. The truth will make us free. But some people think that if you take an approach and look at a company or look at a situation and say, like, and you say, well, this is a problem. This is something this way. And, and then they say, well, you're just criticizing. You're just criticizing. No, that's not the purpose of that. You're not, you're, it's not for the intent of criticism. It's for, the pres it's for the presentation of truth and what will make it work. And so we can't look at, at it from a critical standpoint not from a criticism, or we can't even look at it from a critic. Uh -huh. We've got to define that because it's meant to do good, and we have to listen to it. We'll get to, into that a little bit later here. The root word of criticism is critic. Nobody likes a critic, but Solomon admonishes us to profit from them. A critic is someone who criticizes and makes accusations. What he is saying may be true, so we should always be open to receive. It may be what we need. <laughs> That's the... That's just the simplicity of it, because uh, because the reason that people don't like criticism is because it affects their pride. Because uh, uh, and and I'm not saying that we should we should be a critic. I'm not talking about that. I, I'm I'm not defending being a critic. I'm just saying like uh, if we're in pursuit of truth, we should understand that there are critics, and the value there's a value of a critic, uh, and so. Because sometimes they say things that we need in order for us to straighten out or for, for us to grow. Uh -huh. I, mean, I mean, so we got to we got to be able to accept that and evaluate that and say, like, well, maybe maybe there's something good here. You uh -huh. know, that's, that's the key. <laughs> a critic is usually branded as a fault finder with a rotten attitude. In most cases, we will not listen to what he is saying because of that attitude. Some take the attitude, and it's like getting kicked by a mule. You have to consider the source. However, we should be thankful for the critics. At least they have the guts to tell us what they think. Others may feel the same way about us, but they would never have the courage to confront us, and that denies us the privilege to grow. Criticism gives you the privilege to grow. Huh, absolutely. Absolutely. See, again, back to the truth. If something is true, if we have a flaw in our character or if we have a flaw in our business and stuff like that, we have to look as to what's right. Not Again, again not who's right, but what's right. So if we can make that separation there, then then we can we can learn from it. If you cannot handle criticism, you deny yourself from growth, because growth comes. Because we we, we always say that we always say that uh, that in order to grow, we have to receive things and, and listen to people. Yes. Well, that's just what it is. You have to you have to analyze that critical statement that comes, and a lot of times this is what happens: is if you hear a critic and he, and he insults you and something like that. You will immediately defend yourself again. You know, you'll you'll just throw him out because you say, "Well, he's just a critic. Look where he's coming from. Like it's getting kicked by a mule." You know, consider the source. But then, when you're by yourself, when you're by yourself, you start rationalizing, saying, "Like, you know, he was right. I mean, I mean, I mean he was right, <laughs> or she was right." And then that gives you a chance to grow. So, so 
but we needed that. Someone else mm-hmm. might have not been able to tell us anything. Like so that. all all criticism can really be constructive criticism. We should always, we should never reject criticism. Sure. Never reject the critic. We should listen to what he has to say and then analyze it and pick up the good that's in it. If we accept criticism, we will profit. Yes. The criticism may not be true, but then again, it may. So the value is in listening to it, not measuring it by the person giving it. That's what Solomon was trying to tell us. He said that we should be elected to the wise men's hall of fame if we learn from them. That's right. That, that's what makes us grow, and that's what, that's what makes us famous, is because we become good listeners and analyze. We've got to analyze what's out there. It helps us. I mean, I, mean, I, I just can't emphasize that enough. It, mm-hmm. it, we should thank God for critics. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Some criticism may stem from fault-finding people with a bad attitude, but we must still choose to carefully consider what they are saying. It may be something we need to hear, and our friends maybe would never have the courage to tell us. That's true. I mean, I mean I've had people tell me things that my friends would have never told me because because they had feelings for me. You know, I said, well, I don't want to insult John. Yes. But then there's some people came and, you know, they they just chewed me out. You know, <laughs> they just... They were ruthless, and uh, and I needed that. So when criticism comes, we must ask ourselves if there is an objective standard or value that we are violating. Look and see if that has been indicated by the criticism. If so, submit, not necessarily to the person, but to the principle or value. Use the content of criticism for personal growth. How about this truth? Great peace have those which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Oh, is that powerful? See, it says, Great peace have they that love thy law, which means that you understand God's law, and you are after God's law. You believe in God's law, and then so you're in pursuit of that, which means that now you will not be offended. Yes. You will not be offended because of that, because now your goal is to learn and God's law. And so if somebody comes and teaches you something that becomes God's law, you're not offended by that person. I mean, that, that's a powerful statement. Nothing shall offend him. How many people are offended by the least little thing? Well, I most didn't people, like that. Yeah. You know, yeah, most people are. And they're controlled by that. And then their emotions get involved. And then they get all bent out of shape. And then it takes them back rather than forward. You know, we got to move forward. And gotta, but that, that's a powerful scripture. Psalms uh, 119, uh, 165. This means that if we are of the right stuff. There we go. Criticism will not offend us. That's right. We're made up of the right stuff. Yeah, like the Marines, they say, (laughs) the right stuff. We would rather be thankful and take it into consideration. Here's some food for thought. Someone said that if you want to know how to live the good life, ask a critic. He might have some good instructions. (laughs) That's really true. That is really true. Did you know that that, uh, Jesus himself, in a lot of cases, when, when he was criticized or when he was confronted, you know what he did? He, he turned it around and he asked the question to them, what do you think? Yes. What uh-huh. do you say? N- n- in, other words, in other words, he ate, he even asked for their opinions, you know. After they criticized, he turned it around and he asked ask him for another. So so actually, actually the, uh, the good life comes when we are able to ask a critic. Uh, I, I practice something that a lot of people have a problem with sometimes and, and I will go to a person, and uh, whatever I do, a lot of times is say, what, what, what do you think of me? Now, you open yourself up to that. But I say, what do you think of me? Or I'll say, uh, how did I do? 
if I give a lecture and so on, how did I do? And I want I want the person to be honest. And uh, my wife, a lot of times, when when she's with me, I ask her, "How did I do? How 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 do you think that lecture was?" And sometimes she says, "It was horrible." Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it's like, and and then I said, "Why was it horrible?" And I said, "Well, you didn't explain this. You didn't explain that. You know, you rambled too much and stuff like that." Mm-hmm. Well, that that helped me because that's not what I intended to be to do, and so she helped me. Uh, and so we should do that. We should we should ask people. Tell me the truth about me. How am I doing? You know, uh, when I was an employee, I, w- I was always concerned how I'm doing. You know, and I asked my boss, saying like, uh, is there something I can improve? But I was always got advanced everywhere too because mm-hmm. I was concerned about doing a good job, and I was willing to ask, how am I doing? What can I improve? So that's how life goes. You know, I never thought it's probably easier for a person. For some people, not all people, but some people to criticize if they're asked, just yes, like what you're yes. doing, is you'll get more truthful answers when you ask. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because usually if a person waits and then tells you, it's yeah. because something has made yeah, a matter. Yeah. yeah, I do not mind when people tell me that, hey, that wasn't very good. I mean, I do not mind that because I'm in search for truth and I want to be better. I want to be better at everything that I am. And so I don't mind when people tell me that. It doesn't mean that I always agree with them, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I, I don't mind hearing it because I, I want to know. That's fair. And any person that has an honest heart and that wants to really grow, you will be open to the critic and you will actually ask for somebody to analyze you and you open yourself up to critics or to have somebody correct you. John, let's recap this principle of criticism. Give us some insight. This is a powerful principle. Uh, well, first of all, as a leader, you cannot be a critic. That's very, very important. You cannot be a critic, but you will be criti- criticized because a leader is ahead of people and brings new things in, and he will be criticized. The key here is that you've got to be open to it. You've got to open yourself to it because that's true. And then you have to have the attitude that, uh, like I said, uh, great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them, nothing shall offend them, or we could say, great peace have they that love the truth. And so, you should not be offended. If you're a lover of truth, you should not be offended. You will glean from from those critics, but you yourself can never be a critic. If you're going to be a good leader, you can't be a critic. But you will receive criticism, because you are ahead of them, and someone will try to pull you down. Do I- 
flashback Stepping through the scene There's you And there's a very different me Touchdown You had me at believe You had me at believe you did for today's podcast. Tune in tomorrow for another edition of Transformation Radio.